This could be the first episode of Smart Dribble with information that could save your life. Make sure you have one thing that you carry. If you're skydiving and your parachute doesn't open. Okay, so now I know to be in force four to seven and to press the star button. I now understand why you carry a man purse wherever we go. You cut off its head and you drink its spinal fluid. Hello, people in podcast land. This is Kurt Schneider, your co-host of Smart Drivel, along with... Your other co-host, John Ellenthal. Hello, everybody. John, do you remember a great song from the 80s called Eye of the Tiger? Survivor. It was the theme from Rocky. Survivor was the group. And I couldn't get that song out of my head in thinking about today's episode. I thought you were going to say Spandau Ballet, Don't Don't You Want Me. No, or the one that I heard the entire summer of 1982 when I was in Valencia, Spain, which was Soft Cell. Tainted Love. Tainted Love every single night in the disco in Valencia, Spain. Tainted Love. So the reason why I couldn't get the song out of my head, John, is it reminded me of what we're, I mean, didn't remind me, it's what we're talking about today. The topic of today's podcast is Survivor. Not the television show Survivor. No. I watched the first few seasons of that, but I think they're on like season 94 now. Yeah, I had a buddy that was into like the first 21 seasons. I was into it for a while. So I think possibly the only thing worse than mentioning that you studied in Valencia, Spain, is pronouncing it Valencia. Yes. But when I studied there, it was basically the armpit of Spain. It's now gotten very shishy. It's kind of like, you know, whatever, Brooklyn or whatever else. They get things. Almost a dice armpit in Espanol. (laughs) El peor. La Locación de la Brasa. Valencia. So, I am the tiger, survivor. Tell me more, Kurt. Well, we're talking about just things, not odd, I would say. I would say useful, but a little odd survival tips so you can become a survivor. For instance, when you're out in the woods and you have no food, what can you eat? Now, I'm going to preface this entire podcast episode by telling you, I was an Eagle Scout and we had the field book and the field book with the field book, you could do anything. So in preparation for this, I just fought back to that field book. And one of the things we talked about when you have no food and you're out there, what do you eat? Well, first of all, John, you can eat dandelions. And remember that kid's book, Dandelion? Oh, he was great. He needed to get a haircut. Anyway, you can eat dandelions, any piece of them, plus make dandelion tea, but you can eat whole things edible. Even the root? The whole thing, John. So we're basically going to do an audio version of of a survival handbook here. This could be the first episode of Smart Dribble with useful information, information that could save your life. So if you're stuck in a bad spot, you're going to learn things during this episode that are going to help you out and may save your life. Right. And this came from a couple episodes ago when I was explaining what to do if you're in a place and tear gas is thrown in. Do you remember that? Yes, tear off your shirt, pee on it, put it over your mouth so it filters out some of the more noxious aspects. Mouth and nose. Mouth and what about your eyes? Because tear gas, I assumed, is supposed to get your eyes all messed up. 
throw you close one or the other. Oh, here's a survival a survival technique I learned years ago when I was on a overnight in an army base. If you're in the pitch black and a flare comes out, really like bright light ever, close one eye. That way you won't be blinded and you'll still be able to see. Thank you. So you'll limit the damage to one eye. Yeah. Which it was called, that's why it's called Eye of the Tiger, not Eyes of the Tiger, because only one eye was good enough after that attack. Kurt, have you ever been chased and you were running, 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 and suddenly the trail came to a stop and it was a cliff overlooking a body of water, perhaps a raging river? Yes. Or you were on a bridge and you were like, I have no other choice but to jump off this bridge? I'm going to tell you the correct way to jump off a bridge or off a cliff, Kurt, because you could get really hurt, like hurt dead. And I don't want that to happen. The first thing you need to know, Kurt, is you need to jump feet first. If you jump head first, you are going to smash your head into smithereens, another band. You must stay completely vertical. If you are off even a little bit, you could break your back. So stay vertical. And as you're approaching the water, squeeze your feet together. Now, the next part, Kurt, is the most important part. You must clench your buttocks. Yes. Because if you don't, water could rush in and cause severe internal damage. And then, of course, put your hands over your crotch to protect your crotch. And as soon as you hit the water, spread your arms and legs out so that you can decelerate, you know, slow down your plunge. But make sure you clench your buttocks, Kurt, because you don't want to survive this fall and end up with all sorts of water inside your body. No, it would be a shitty way to go. You know, what's interesting as a part of that, because I have jumped into raging waters from fairly high. Did you clench your buttocks? I have. I learned that almost the hard hard way. Kurt? (laughs) Kurt, have you ever been skydiving like the whole parachute jump out of a plane thing? Absolutely not. Ask me if I've ever been skydiving. Yes, I have, Kurt. Fortunately, my parachute opened. But I'm going to tell you what to do, Kurt, if you're skydiving and your parachute doesn't open. Because that sounds perilous, doesn't it, Kurt? It certainly does. And that didn't happen to you because you're talking to me. Or I knew how to survive my parachute not opening. You went into the future, listened to this podcast, and then came back. This is like a Marty McFly story you have going on here. Exactly. So let's say you jump out of an airplane and your chute doesn't open. Fortunately, you are jumping with a companion. That companion, regardless of your relationship before you jumped, is now your best friend. Yes. You signal the companion who will steer over to you and you hook arms with that person. Now, you're still falling at terminal velocity, which is 130 miles an hour. The challenge comes with when your companion tries to open his or her chute, because there's tremendous force when you go from 130 miles an hour to zero miles an hour in an instant. I've experienced that. Even if you're prepared, it is quite a jolt. You need to clench your buttocks. You definitely need to clench your buttocks. But there's no way just by hooking arms that you guys are going to be able to withstand that force. So what you do is you put your arms inside your friend's chest strap and you hang on for dear life. 
Now, what's going to happen when he or she pulls their chute? There's going to be so much force that you're going to break or dislocate your arms. But that's better than arriving at Earth without the benefit of a decelerator like a parachute. Yeah, you'd be a pancake on the And then you steer the canopy, ideally to a body of water nearby if available. Otherwise, depending on how big their chute is, you may hit the ground with enough force that you're going to break your legs. But again, broken arms, broken legs. Better than arriving at Earth without a parachute at all. Got it. All right. I'll do that. I'll hey, Kurt, you're welcome. Yes, I was going to thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, that reminds me of the time I was scuba diving and I was 80 feet under the water on the ground on the whatever. The seabed? Yes, on the seabed. And I had rented equipment and it was in Martinique and it was all this old French equipment. There was something called a J-valve and a J-valve. So there was no pressure gauge. So I didn't know how much air I had left. They said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. It's called a J-valve. When you feel like you can't breathe and it's really tough, you pull the J-valve and it gives you 500 extra PSI, which is more air, and that tells you it's time to go up. So my brother and I do it. I'm down. He has his gauge and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, I have trouble breathing. We're on the bottom. I go to pull it. It had already been pulled. Uh, a pre-pulled J-valve is not a good J-valve. So I'm 80 feet down, no air, out, done. How do you survive when this happens, John? You buddy breathe. You buddy breathe. And if you have broken two toes, you buddy tape them, different than buddy breathing. <laughs> yes. And if you were a coach of the 46 defense for the Chicago Bears in 1985, buddy you were Ryan. Buddy Ryan. Yes. Right. And then there's bosom buddies where... Tom Hanks got his start on a TV show with Peter Scolari. Well, Peter Scolari didn't do as well as Tom Hanks. He did not do as well as Tom Hanks. But I don't think many actors have done as well as Tom Hanks. But we buddy breathed all the way up. He took a breath and I took a breath and we got to the surface and made it. Well, I'm glad that worked out. You know why you had that problem? I can tell you. Yeah. Because French equipment, like the French people, only work a few hours a day. Whoa. Wow. Okay, now. So, John, this is very smart drivelly for you. Okay. If you're in the wilderness. Unlikely, by the way. <laughs> make sure you have one thing that you carry. A tampon. No, that would be the second thing. Yes. But the first thing is what you put in your wallet when you were 15. And it's probably A still... A condom. Yes. So, basically, we could name this episode... Condoms and tampons. You probably could, yes. Let's not do that, though. So a condom is fantastic. A latex condom is if not the old ones that were made with whatever. Sheepskin or sheep's yes. intestines. Yes. Though that would probably work, too. The latex ones are fantastic because, A, they expand and they can hold a ton of water. So you have a big water jug right there from a tiny one. Two, if you see a deer or a pig walking by and you're hungry, you can tie it between two trees and get a stone and use it as a slingshot. Just Three, in case you come across Goliath out there, you'll be ready with your David slingshot. Three, yes, exactly. You're ready to go. You can use it as a, like a place to carry tinder and keep it dry for your fire. And if you don't have tinder and keep it dry, it can be your tinder and put it in the fire because once you light it burns, right? Yes, it does. 
And then the tampon, I never go into the wilderness without a tampon, which is why I always bring you along when I go into the wilderness, because I know you have some. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. But a tampon, outside of its traditional use case, is an incredibly versatile thing to have when you're in a pinch. You can use it as a water filter if you must. You can use it if you want to go fishing. It can be a a fishing bobber. It could even be the wick for a candle, Kurt. And you can use them as bandages because, of course, you know that they're quite absorbent. And it's incredibly valuable to have a bunch of tampons with you, which is why I now understand why you carry a man purse wherever we go. And if you remember in a previous episode, sanitary napkins came from World War One, I, I think, and they or, or it was the surgical War. dressing. Yeah, it was a surgical dressing, so it has a lot in there. All right. So the next time you go into the woods, Kurt, I know you take a lot of walks into the woods. I would mean, Bill Bryce, some tampons with you. Just in case, Kurt. So you know what I would be doing, Kurt? Rather than going into the wilderness, I would be at a hotel. You know, <laughs> you and I have stayed at a lot of hotels in our lives. And the safest floors in a hotel, Kurt, floors four through seven. This has been proven because someone did an analysis. And the reason you want to be at least on the fourth floor is in case there's some sort of bomb or explosion, you're probably out of the way of the blast area on the fourth floor. And the reason you don't want to be any higher than the seventh floor is if there's a fire, you don't have that many flights of stairs to make it down to get outside. So the safest floors in a hotel, Kurt, four to seven. Does that have anything to do with an elevator? Since you mentioned the elevator, I have two things to say about the elevator. The first is we discussed the elevator back in episodes 15 or 16. It was our first and only two-part episode, Kurt, when we talked about underrated inventions. And I proffered the elevator as an underrated invention because without the elevator, buildings wouldn't be any taller than five or six floors and we would not have the modern city. So underrated, right? But did you ever notice when you look at all the buttons on the panel that one of the buttons has a star. Mm -hmm. What that star means, if you press the button with the star on it, that takes you to the floor with the most direct route to the outside. That's what the star means. Okay, so now I know to be in floors four to seven and to press the star button. There you go. I think we both have something here today. And I won't press the closed door button because I know outside New York City doesn't mean anything. That's exactly right. And that was also covered in those episodes. So please, if you haven't heard episodes 15 and 16, I think they're particularly good episodes and is filled with fun stuff that have really had a profound impact on modern life. We just don't think about them that way. So because I learned a lot of these when I was a Boy Scout, a lot of these come from being in the woods because we would do hikes and we do campouts over weekends. So just something to think about is I started with you can eat every part of the dandelion. The yeah. other thing is lichen, which grows on rocks. It's kind of like a fungus. It's like that green, pale greenish stuff that grows on rocks. You can eat that? You can take it off of the spatula and fry it up like an egg. And you only do this if you have nothing else to eat, right? Now, here's Unfortunately, you have a spatula. Yes, of course. Because <laughs> whenever Kurt goes into the woods, he packs a condom, a spatula, and a tampon. That's all you need. 
If you are on the water and we know, you know, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink, you cannot. Rhyme of the ancient mariner. You cannot drink salt water. That's correct. You need to desalinate it, and which what if you, you can do. What if you can't? You try harder. And if you can't? You don't drink it. So what do you do? You try again to desalinate it. You catch a fish. And teach a this? man how to do that for life. <laughs> you catch a fish, you cut off its head, and you drink its spinal fluid. Okay, I think that's disgusting sounding. I'm you're going to survive. How much volume could there be of spinal fluid in Enough a little fish? Enough to keep you alive. You know what? Sometimes it's just time. Kurt, am I remembering correctly that one of your sons was born in a taxi? No. Oh, one of them was conceived in a taxi. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I got that wrong. So do you know how to deliver a baby in a taxi, Kurt? Yes, I do. Well, please tell us. You say to the taxi driver, get to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fortunately, hopefully there's a hospital nearby. If not, you're going to have to deliver said baby. The good news is babies don't need a lot of help being born. It's a fairly natural process. The baby starts to crown and you need to help the head out, support it with your hands. And then as the body starts to make its way out, you just provide it with, with support from its hands. Here's the key part. Don't slap the baby. Okay. Why? It doesn't need your help crying. It's going to cry on its own. But all of these movies and TV shows where they slap the baby. Kurt, don't be slapping the baby. What about cutting the umbilical cord? I'll get to that. You clean the baby off, dry it off after it comes out, after you refrain from slapping it. And then you get like a string or your shoelace would work. And you tie around the umbilical cord several inches away from the body and then just leave it as is. I think the most important step is the last one. You give the driver a really big tip because he's going to have to clean up or she the backseat of their car and it ain't going to be pretty. I wonder if that's part of getting your taxi medallion that you have to learn that. I wonder what percentage of taxi drivers in New York City have at some point experienced either the birth or perhaps the conception of a baby in their taxi. I wonder if it, which city has the most. I would say Beijing. Most taxis or most babies born in? I'd say Guangzhou. Most babies born in taxis. The most important part of the whole delivering the baby in the taxi thing I actually left out. As you're tying off the umbilical cord, clench your buttocks. <laughs> so, oh boy. Oh, another interesting survival tip that I remember as a kid is if someone has hypothermia, do you know what you do? You warm them up. You ask them to come inside and put some clothes on. Well, you warm them up right away. And the best way to do that if you're out in the woods or someplace else is you strip down naked as well. And give them your clothes? No, you both get in naked in a sleeping bag or whatever you have because the body warmth is the warmest thing to warm. Somebody. I wonder how many kids have been conceived trying to save a friend from hypothermia by getting naked into a sleeping bag with them. And then they got into a taxi. You know what's an amazing... I'm delivered. You know what's an amazing source of insulation? If you're in, if you're really, really, really cold and don't... Now, I don't know why you'd have this with you, but bubble wrap is incredibly insulating and incredible job of keeping the heat in your body. So when you go into the woods, let's recap here. You need a condom, 
a tampon, bubble wrap, and a spatula. And something to drink the spinal fluid out of the face. Oh, John, that's so disgusting sounding, Kurt. I don't think I want to drink the spinal fluid of anything. So uh, I would want a spinal tap, though, anytime it's on. Uh, so would I. I think you also want to bring with you into the woods or any place you go one household item that you have a lot of. And it, this thing is remarkable in what it can do for you. I'm talking of tea bags. <laughs> just just to stay relaxed, maybe a chamomile while you're so out there. That helps. Tea bags. The tea itself can be used as tinder to start a fire if you need to. You, you don't need to. You're gonna you're gonna light the you're gonna light the tampons and the condoms. It's also good for pain relief, right? Wet wet tea leaves on your whatever it is, your eye, your your cuts, whatever. It's good for hydration because you can quickly drink water that you've boiled because boiled water tastes like crap, but you put tea in in it. It's a little way to flavor your disgusting water. It stops diarrhea. If you You put it up your butt. No, if you have diarrhea, you open it up and you eat the leaves dry quickly. Really? That stops diarrhea? Why don't we use that at home? It also decreases inflammation, especially green tea. So there, wow. tea has tremendous this use. This is like a miracle product. Yeah. All right. In the glove compartment of my car, as soon as we're done recording, a tampon and some green tea. And, and I'm going to be set. A safety pin and duct tape. What have you been told to do to escape a confrontation with an alligator? With an alligator? Yeah. How are you supposed to run? Well, an alligator is in the water, right? Uh, They can come on land. Have you never been out of the house? You climb a tree. You're supposed to run zigzag, people say, right? Serpentine, like uh, the in-laws? In-laws, yeah. But people say you're supposed to run zigzag because the alligator can't hit it like that. Really? I never heard that. Never heard this? No. Kurt, everybody but you knows this. I don't want to make you sound like you're, you know. That's brilliant. Now I know what to do. However, it's not what you're supposed to do. It's just what everyone thinks you're supposed to do. Because while you're running zigzag, the alligator is just going to run straight at you. And it's going to be a much shorter route because you haven't covered as much territory. I'm going to punch it in the nose. Actually, we'll discuss that in a minute when we're discussing sharks. But you're supposed to just do a zig. And then run straight. But zigzag, zigzag just slows you down and you cover a lot less territory, which is not what you want to be doing when there's an alligator chasing you. What if you do a zag instead of a zig? That's your choice. It depends whether you're left-handed or not. Oh, you can do either one. I think you can do either one because they're really the same thing except just in different directions. You know the word we use for something that's kind of tacky? We say it's gauche. Something that can attack you is gauche? No, no, no. Something that is tacky. Cheese. Oh, something that is uh, something that is tacky. Yes, or, gauche. Uh, when you said uh, tacky, I was thinking, huh? But yes, I know that use of the word gauche. And gauche is French for left, as in left-handed, because the left-handed people were considered more devious, more tacky, more cheesy. It was another way to put down the lefties. I believe that a left-handed person made your scuba gear that malfunctioned when you were pulling the J-valve. Kurt, we have to wrap up very soon, but before we do, I want you to know, since you mentioned punching the alligator in the nose, that many people are told if you're faced with a shark, confronting a shark, 
which would be an unhappy, you would, by the way, don't need to worry about clenching your buttocks because that'll happen naturally if you got a shark in your face. You don't punch it in the nose. Instead, you punch it in the eyes and the gills because those are the most sensitive parts and keep on hammering away. No pun intended if it's a hammerhead shark, but it's not about punching the shark in the nose. Punch it in the eyes and the gills, most sensitive parts of a shark. And I have been confronted by pods and pools of 50 hammerhead sharks. And I have been confronted by a land shark. <laughs> Do you know? I land shark! I think I might have mentioned this, but the best scuba dive I ever went on in my Martinique 100 scuba dives, no, was the Living Seas Aquarium at Walt Disney World, the Epcot Center. Oh, that's gauche. <laughs> I got to see every single part of sea creature was there in one dive. That's very nice. It's basically you went diving in a big aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> okay, everyone, we wanted to give you Eye of the Tiger, I mean, Survivor, I mean, how to survive and survival tips. And so this was just our, this was a public service announcement, this whole episode, how to survive life. Yes. And by the way, the best way to survive life, I forgot to mention this, but no matter what, have a gin martini. Oh, boy. So listen, I hope that there's real take home value for everybody this week from Smart Drivel survival tactics version. Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your life is free of life-threatening situations and filled with Smart Dribble. Goodbye, everybody. Ciao, everyone. Mm-hmm.